Welcome to the Real Estate Roundtable Podcast, where we sit down with some of the most successful real estate agents, brokers, and team leaders to learn about their journeys in this industry. I'm your host, Art Batuzzi, and as a seasoned real estate agent of 29 years, I'm always fascinated by the stories of how others found success in this business. On this podcast, we'll be talking to our guests about the obstacles they overcame, the lessons they learned, and the tips and strategies they're using in today's ever-changing market. Whether you're a real estate agent, broker, team leader, investor, or just someone interested in real estate, you're in the right place. Our guests come from a variety of backgrounds and they all have unique insights to share. We wanna have fun with these interviews, but we also wanna make sure that you come away with actionable tips that you can implement in your own business. New episodes will be released weekly, so be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for joining us on the Real Estate Roundtable Podcast. Let's get started. Hi, welcome to the Real Estate Roundtable Podcast. I'm Art Batuzzi, and I'm joined today by an old friend of mine, uh, Natalia, or Natalie, Leontonarchus. And I've screwed up her last name right from the get-go. And, <laughs> and that's okay, because she knows that I just call her Natalia. Natalia and I met over 20 years ago at this point, where we worked together at a condo conversion company, one of the largest in the United States, American Invesco. And then, strangely, a couple of years later, we got to work together at another company, Equity Residential, where we did condominium conversions all over the United States. And Natalia has gone on from doing that. She has gone into the European market, moved to Greece, and she is currently the CEO of Vaughn Paul Greece, which as I understand it, and I'll let her tell you, is one of the biggest luxury real estate brands in Europe, if not the biggest. So let's say hello to Natalia. Hi, Natalia. Hi, Art. How are you? Rocking and rolling, sister. I'm, I'm so happy that you're here. I'm so happy. Well, you're not actually here because I'm in my basement. I'm in Mykonos. I'm in Mykonos. <laughs> <laughs> so you're in Mykonos, Greece, and we yes. can kind of see the, the water behind you. And <laughs> I, I thank you for coming on. I appreciate you taking your time. And I, I you know how much I, I love you and how much we've had uh, experiences in the past and you were one of the people on the top of my list that I wanted to talk to about real estate because of your knowledge base in this area. So first Hi. of all, well, my pleasure. Absolutely. First of all, why don't you tell us, because I don't even know that I know this, how did you get to Chicago and get into real estate? Because you were born and raised in Greece, right? Yes. All right. So tell us how you got there in the first place. Well, American Invesco, as you know, the owners were half Greek, half Americans. And at the time, they were here in Greece, scouting out 
uh, a big hotel that they wanted to uh, convert. And, uh, you know, American Vessels was doing all that, as we know, condominium conversions, but they somehow they got involved. And, you know, always the Greek Americans always have, like, have a little bit of a piece of their own country and do something in their country. So when the family, uh, the Golidas family, was in Greece, they were acquiring this huge, one of the best, actually, five-star hotels in, uh, in Athens. And uh, I was introduced by a Greek-American friend of mine because at the time they were looking for someone that speaks perfect English and Greek and can help them just with translations, just to help them translate the long Greek documents. Now, you would ask me, why wouldn't they hire an attorney? Well, they were hiring but they needed someone also to be with them while they're talking to ministers and, you know, and all the government people. And at the time, I was really young, but I my English was much better than any attorney or any other person. So anyway, to make the long story short, they hired me. I worked with them for two years trying to acquire this huge hotel, uh, which was going to be condominiums slash casino slash hotel, all three. So. After two years, when they were actually very close to get this hotel, and we were, we worked very, very diligently to get this, uh, the government fell apart. So the whole, you know, uh, contest who was going to win and how we're going to do it. Anyway, everything went busted. So I was going to be left without a job, and I was offered a job to come to Chicago. They liked what I did in Greece. They liked, you know, my drive. You know me. You know of energy and all that. So they told me, why don't you come to the States for three months just to see the company you've been working for two years in, in Greece to see who we are in Chicago. And I came for three months and ended up staying for 17 years. But anyway, <laughs> so I came for three months to American Investco and Nick Bolita, the CEO at the time, wanted me to do the whole, as we call it, the McDonald's training because I was the Greek, the little Greek who didn't know anything. So he wanted me to learn everything about, so he put me to the HR department, then he put me to the mortgage funding department, so I learned about HR, financing, then I was in the accounting, then I, and then finally he put me into the project management, and then I started working in the project management, and then I learned about sales, and, this is, and one thing led to another, um, and as the company was growing, I was growing as well. So I stayed with them for about, I want to say nine years. So nine years I was uh, and that's where you met me. Um, and, you know, at the time, you know, we had the projects, you know, 111 is Chestnut and this and that, and we're running around all everybody like trying to do our jobs, dealing with sales. And I worked close to the, the Greeks, you know, and as well as the project managers, as you remember, and Sharon Rizzo and Santo Rizzo and a lot of, uh, very good people that and they actually knew what they were doing. They had a, a lot of experience. I learned everything from scratch. I have to say I do appreciate that Nick Senior was actually putting me and placing me into meetings that I wouldn't imagine I would go in. Really, you know, I, I was like a little sponge. You know, I was like absorbing everything. You know how he makes the deals, how he negotiates. And I have to tell you, this is a really funny story. One day he had Donald Trump in his office and they were talking about some stuff. And because I was the Greek, I didn't, you know, I didn't know that his name was Trump. 
kept calling him Clam. I thought that was really funny. Yeah, Mr. Clam. And then, and then finally, he says, Okay, Natalie, we get it. Your, your, your accent is really weird. Anyway, so I learned a lot with American Invesco, and that's, and the rest is history, as you know. And then from then on, I got offered a new job from Equity Residential, uh, you know, because within the nine years with American Invesco, I learned a lot. Started from scratch. Um, I knew all about how to convert buildings by then. You know, I was uh, very uh, enthusiastic. I, I really loved it. Um, so maybe something that you don't even know. My background is in mechanical engineering. You know, I always loved homes, but you know, I didn't like the technical part. I kind of liked the part to be involved in the sales, you know, and the negotiation and everything. And then finally, I got the offer from Equity Residential, um, and I moved uh, and I switched companies and I went with them. And then that's when we joined later, and then we worked again together. Yes. So let's talk about that for just a minute. Um, well, actually, let's go back to AI for just a second. Um, what When you went through, I love that you called it the McDonald's approach, which is to put you in every different area. Um, mm-hmm. I, I have my opinion of which one you enjoyed more. Which one did you enjoy <laughs> more? Sales. Yeah, I knew that's where you were going to go. <laughs> yeah. Well, the sales is obviously the more fun, you know, because, you know, you if you are the person who loves to dealing with people, you're involved in a lot of little aspects. You're involved with the marketing, a little bit of legal, the negotiation, and the construction. And there's a lot of bits and pieces that you are, you are involved. So if you're the kind of person that likes diversity and you like to, you know, communicate with people and be a deal, a closer, then that's you have the right personality to do the sales. Uh, but you know, as you know, it wasn't. Everybody thinks that sales is an easy thing. Like you shake hands and you say hello and goodbye, and you show an apartment and you're done. Well, that's not it. That's not it. I mean, we all know there's a lot of work behind it. Well, we did find some people who thought that that was the case, and they would sign people, but they wouldn't close. Yeah. Yeah. There was a difference. Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. There was a difference. We had a woman that we worked with who shall remain nameless. That was she signed like one out of every three people she met and she closed one out of every 50 people, meaning those deals that she signed didn't actually close. And and in that business, we lived on the closing. We didn't live mm-hmm. on. I mean, you got to get the sale to be able to get it to close. But if you can't do that, that that doesn't make you a great salesperson. That makes you a great order taker. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's why you want to call them closer. You want to be a closer. That's when the deal happens. You know, there's a lot happening between the taking the hands and signing the, you know, uh, down payment and everything can fall apart until you go to the notary. Yeah, I mean, a lot of salespeople think that their job is done when they get the person to sign the offer or the contract, right? And they go, all right, I'm done. You're not done. Yeah. <laughs> Now, now we're, this is where it starts. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> right. This is where it starts. So, so then you moved over to Equity Residential, and Equity was just starting its condominium division. In fact, I think you were the first employee of the condominium division. Yes, yes. 
Uh, equity residential uh, actually sounds they'll discover me through David Schwartz, uh, who's one of the partners, and he was a part of the company at that time. And he recommended me to go meet with them because they were, uh, they you know, equity had about 4,000 units all over the country. So the idea was to pick, cherry pick some of their portfolio to convert them into condominiums. In the beginning, the strategy, uh, they hired me to set up a strategy. The strategy obviously was obviously um, to pick the, the apartment complexes or buildings that they were not doing so well and they, you know, they were not performing very well. So in the beginning, you know, we started getting properties that we knew that they cannot, uh, they were not renting, they were not doing very well, they had like 40 or 50% occupancy. So they were giving me out of the whole portfolio the, the buildings that they knew they, Either they're going to have to sell to someone, but it was very hard to sell when it's 40% occupancy. So, you know, we had to do something. So we, the idea was, very smart actually idea, to convert them into condominiums. So in the beginning, the portfolio was not the best, okay? We were, it was not easy. Um, so as we started becoming more of a team, because we had properties like in uh, Seattle, Arizona, when I started to prove it myself that this can be done and they started making money, uh, then I had the leverage to go back and discuss and say, hey, can I have better properties? Can we have something like, please give me something like in Scottsdale, Arizona, you remember, like on the lake, or give me something better that we can actually do. And I had to prove to them that even if you take even a better apartment building, you can still make a ton of money. They, the the exciting part about being at Equity Residential was they didn't know this business at all. So I arrived there and I was like, quote unquote, that golden girl that was teaching these people. I mean, the CEO of Equity Residential, like Sam Zell and Alan George and all this. And I was teaching them how we do conversions. And, you know, I was like, okay, I'm sitting in a meeting and everybody was listening to every word I was saying. So that was very exciting for me because coming from a condominium conversion company, going into a REIT, totally different. We went from a family business to a, a REIT, which was actually at the time at the S they entered the S&P 500 at Wall Street. It was a big thing. Everything was so different. You know, being in a family company at AI was easy. You go in, you talk to the senior, you know, Nick Senior, the CEO, hey, we need to do this and this and this, done. Over there, you have to make a presentation. You have to pass it through the BOD. Everybody has to approve it. I mean, it was like, I was like, wow, this is a different company. The whole setup. So I learned the real, without insulting, but it was the real corporate America environment, like from the get-go. I mean, I learned so much that in the nine years I was with AI, I learned how to make it done. It was more hustling and more, you know, being on the field and learning because you were rubbing a gift, you know, with the salespeople and the CEO and all. I went to the total corporate environment that I learned protocols and strategies and business plans and all these things. So that gave me a big so I had the best of both worlds. I knew what it, what you need to get done without you on the field and how to be with your salespeople and your people that do the work. And I also knew how to deal with the BOD members and how to talk to them and how to get things done. Um, so 
and you know, and it was very exciting because it was all new. I felt very important. I felt very good about myself at the time. Um, and actually, once they started making money and, you know, being also a company that's a read and, you know, SAP 500, money matters, you know, numbers matter. Uh, I mean, which company doesn't matter, but they was really, they were really cautious. And actually the process of taking a property from an apartment to convert it to condo, because Natalia said so, was not like that. We had to do and present to the board, like I had to present to the board why they need to sell to the condominium department this property. Everything was real. You know, they had to pay money. They had to sell shares. They had to sell shares to buy. We had to buy. And it was really like we were like a client. We were like their client and we're asking for this property to convert it, convert it to condominium. So that was really very interesting for me, you know, you know, that it wasn't just, hey, you know, I like this property. Give it to me. I want to convert it. No, it was like by the book and step by step, you had to convince them why this property needs to come out of the portfolio, you know, sell it to us and blah, blah, all this stuff. It was really interesting. And once we started then, uh, we had to prove to them that even a good property, you know, making good numbers and, and performing even 100% occupancy and performing very well, I, we can show you that your tenants can buy. You remember how we were doing it? You were there, you know, offering the, you know, offering the, you know, the discounts and, you know, first come first served and, and you know, and then became a big hit. So then once they, they liked that because they had a, they evaluating a, a property, let's say in Scottsdale, Arizona, that if they would sell it as is, 100% occupancy, and they can make $25 million, and then here we come, the condominium conversion people, tell them, okay, I can make you $55 million. Of course, it's a no-brainer. And as you remember, especially in Arizona, we sold them overnight. It was like, boom, they were, go- remember, they were gone in one weekend. I mean, of course, we were heroes. So it was the good days. It was very nice. <laughs> well, I could talk forever. <laughs> I know. And that's okay because I, I think this is, it, it's interesting. I mean, yes, I was there with you while we did it. There's some days I think it was a dream. You know, I, I think <laughs> about it and go, mm, did that really happen? But, but it did. And what was fun about it is that we, you know, equity didn't have. So AI taught us how to sell, I think. It taught us how to be great salespeople and managers of salespeople, where Equity Residential taught us how to systematize the entire process. The business, be the more business. business. Right, right. Yes. And, and there were days where it definitely, the differences were so stark. And I was like, are these people kidding? I mean, I remember <laughs> I had a conversation about doorknobs and the, the, and you, without saying his name, you know who I had the conversation with. And he was arguing with me that these doorknobs versus levers were the doorknobs would save us eight cents each if we went with the doorknobs and instead of the levers. And I said, but the levers are what people are buying, the lever handles. I said, that's what we want. He's like, oh, the cost associated with doing that. I said, great, here's what we're going to do. He said, what? I said, I just raised every price a hundred bucks in the entire prop. He's like, you can't do that. 
And I yes, said, I yes, can. I can. I just did it. <laughs> and so does that take care of your eight, 10 doorknob? Because there was, you know, he'd go, well, there's 10 doorknobs per, per apartment. And, you know, I'm like, okay, so I just made you more money than that. And, yes. and so it was, a, there was a learning curve there. And, you know, yeah. I had it easy compared to you. Because you had to get them initially to give you the authority or the ability to do that, to even get started. I mean, I sort of, I was in that second wave. You were wave number one, like the tsunami. And I was, you know, that second wave in and, but between us, the company absolutely understood what we were doing and we proved it to them time and time again and so when we did that you know I, I, do you remember we were in a meeting one day and sam walked in the door and he said this is the condo meeting we're like yes i mean i had never <laughs> met the guy you would at least met the guy before yeah. i'd never met him and he said all right all right i want five thousand condos next year i want it in a year and then he turned around and he walked out and yeah. we all sat there and went oh we we don't have we have to put infrastructure in there. We have to speed up this process to be able to hit that goal. I I went there solo, just me in one office. And when I left, there were fifty two people department. And so it was really insane. We went crazy because you know he, the five thousand that he asked. It was like in the beginning they were giving us. Uh, the states and the smaller projects, you know, like a hundred units, two hundred. Then it was like go to Florida, get a two thousand project over there. Go to, you know, it was like huge projects. It was insane. Uh, they were making a ton of money. I mean, they we just opened the Pandora box for them. They were like, oh my god, we never knew this business existed, you know. And we were like, because you have to remember, they had all these apartment buildings, they were losing money, you know, they didn't know what to do with them, you know, they were not making any money, and they were, like, selling them for, like, nothing, and we came in, and we opened their eyes, and we told them, and yeah, let's take credit for it, and you, and me, and the whole team, we told them, let's break it down piece by piece, make it a condo, and we'll triple your money. Do you remember when we sold the Scottsdale, Arizona? Remember when we arrived, and there was, like, a line, like, how many, like, a thousand people, no, 300 people waiting outside our office and you and I, we walked in and they were like, there, there, there she is, there she is. I felt like Cher and like I have Mick Jagger next to me, you, you know, we're walking and we opened the sales office and we see all these people and you and I, I don't know if you remember this, we had, we had on all around the sales office on the boards, the pricing for each unit and you and I, we saw each other, uh, sales people, both of us were like, Raise the prices 20 grand each unit. <laughs> and you took the marker and you start marking up all the prices 20 grand each unit. We just made the company like another three million, just like that, in two seconds. And we open the door. The first wave of people come. They look at all the floor plans. You know, everybody picks a floor plan. We had backup contracts. And you then you said, Natalia, let's close the door and raise the prices again. And you raise the prices another 20,000. I mean, we were selling, it was insane, but uh, it was like one weekend. We sold the project four times. We had four backups for each unit. It was in, I mean, those were the days, huh? Those were the days. <laughs> well, and what was interesting about that weekend is 
we had a full page ad in whatever the Scottsdale or the, the yeah, the, whatever the newspaper was. And I remember that they left the address off the ad. Like it was the last thing and the newspaper lost the address. Like it wasn't, when I read this, I'm like, where's the address? And we still had people that yeah. found us and came yeah. and were just throwing checks at us. Yeah. I want one of these. I don't care which one, just I want one of these. So that was extremely exciting because we did this. And of course, we got our system down over the next, you know, four or five or 10 of these that we ended up doing. But it was, it, it, it certainly became how can we do this better and faster than the mm-hmm. last one? And that was a ton of fun. Now, it was a ton of work. Um, I remember you and I, you were, you were pregnant with your first daughter. And we were mm-hmm. flying, whether it was Arizona or Florida, and you were probably, what, six or eight months along, maybe six, seven months along. Mm-hmm. And we were going, and you're, we got these little tiny seats. And you're like, oh, no. Oh, I can't sit here and be comfortable for four hours. So you went to the stewardess and you said, look, I'm pregnant. He's with me. We, she put us in first class. <laughs> and you looked at me and I'm like, how'd you do that? She goes, if you don't ask, they're not going to You'll never you. receive. That's ask. right. You know who told me that? Sam Bell. Really? Sam, yes. He told me that. Actually, when we were picking properties in Arizona, he flew me with the helicopter all around. That's how we pick the properties. We were, you know, pick which one you want, which one. If one we're talking about was the one I picked from the helicopter from above. I said, I want that one. He's like, that's one of the best ones. That's on the lake. Oh, yeah, that's the one I want. <laughs> Why you have me up here? Why do you have me in those stupid helicopter? I want that project. You told me to pick. I want that one. And that's how we did it. Anyway, and it's it's crazy because, you know, and they hear the, the downfall of the whole thing. We sold it. And then when I came back in the office, and you don't know that. They called me in the office and they're like, I think you underpriced everything. And I'm like, what? We just made you like in one weekend, like, I don't know, 30 million, whatever. They're like, yeah, yeah, but maybe we should have made 40. I'm like, I can't believe this. <laughs> They're making money and they want more. <laughs> and like, anyway, it was, uh, but you know, the, the, the thing is that they brought the people who knew how to sell, like you and me. And we were showing them, and then and then it became okay. We want more. And it was like the kid in the candy store. They're like, okay, now let's do the next one, and let's do the next one, and and then we were doing crazy stuff. I, I remember the story like I'm, I'm flying you now from Arizona to Seattle, and we had this little project. It was like only fifty units or something. I still remember we rented deers. Do you remember that we had deers paid? Maybe you weren't there at the time. We we. Oh my God, we had, we had, we had the, we didn't know how to sell it. So we had, because it was like kind of isolated project, you know, in the middle of nowhere. So like, how are we going to, so we had to present like, you are in nature. And I was thinking of marketing schemes and stuff, because, you know, sales always have to be hand in hand with marketing. So we, we rented beers. We had the fire working, the fireplace on, smelling cookies in the, in the houses. So when we had, viewings and buyers coming we I would the guy the meters guy would give you know that walkie-talkie you know the guy okay let the deers go let the deer and then 
And then the deers will run in the forest. And the, the wives will be like, oh, honey, look, we're in the forest. Get the deers. And it was like, we presented a lifestyle. And it was, we were doing so much stuff that to sell, only to sell. I mean, we had to come up with stuff and ideas all the time. I still do it, by the way. I still burn cookies and I still put stuff in the oven to make it homey. I don't know if the, the new people do that, you know, the younger ones. I don't know if they go through all that trouble anymore. Well, I don't think you burn cookies. You bake. Well, yeah, you, I bake, but I, yeah, I said burn because I burned cookies once. <laughs> I'm always scared I'm going to burn them. But yeah, but anyway. So, I know. so we had a blast doing that. And that, but at some point you decided to move on, right? And yes. you, I, I don't recall what you did right after you left the, the group there. But at some point, though, you made a decision to move you and your, your girls back to Greece? Yes. I moved back to Greece. I had, uh, by that time, I had a very good offer from a very big developer in Greece. Uh, they were doing, okay, before I moved to Greece, for like about a year and a half, I worked as a consultant in real estate. And I had, uh, I was working for developers. And I, maybe, you don't know that because we kind of lost touch after that because I was a consulting um, person to developers who were building also malls and uh, for the Scottsdale Mall. And that's so they asked for my advice. And so I kind of became, went into the retail uh, side of the business. Um, and it was, it was a good move because it was another segment, you know, or part of real estate that I wasn't. I didn't know much, so I went into the into the mall business, and I was uh, consulting developers from abroad, not Americans, who were asking my opinion. You know, they were buying big pieces of land, and they wanted to know, uh, you know, how what they do with the mall, how they do it, how they promote it, what kind of retails it. Anyway, so I kind of got into that, which was good because then. Prices came, you know, residential always falls first, you know, and then so it was kind of good that I was in the commercial part. Um, and then for personal reasons, uh, after I was doing this consulting, I got an offer. Uh, and one thing led to another. Everybody, for some reason, they found out that I'm doing very well in this consulting business of mine. And a very big developer asked me from Greece if I would join them Um because they had malls, shopping malls in Greece. And they were also, the shopping malls in Greece, was, it was a new thing, believe it or not. Um, so they needed someone who has the experience. And since the United States is the country of shopping malls, um, they kind of asked me to go meet with them. So I flew to New York. I met with the owner. And then um, Christmas of 2007, uh, they hired me. In March 2008, I moved to Greece. Three months later, they moved me. They paid for my move. They, it was like they wanted me so much. So I started working for them. So I started working for a developer in Greece, um, helping them setting up their shopping malls. They also have residential projects, so I kind of helped there too. And of course, you know, I went as the Natalia, you know, with, you know, my energy and full of life. And let's get, you know, uh, let's get this done. And, you know. Um, but it was very interesting because coming from United States, 
I brought so much experience to them on the other side of the world in Europe. And they were doing things so differently. And I was, I was like, whoa, I got to teach them everything here. <laughs> so it was like, maybe I'm underpaid. <laughs> so um, I started again. It was kind of like deja vu, you know, like I was equity residential teaching and condo conversions. Here I am now with one of the largest developers in Greece, Lambda Development, they were called. I am teaching them, number one, on the residential project, what they should be doing. Um, and number two, I'm, t- I'm showing them the how to acquire malls and what to do and what to look for and what to be careful and all that. And they were they were big. I mean, they were buying proper malls in uh, in Eastern Europe and Romania, Bulgaria, Turkey. And they were buying malls everywhere. I was flying all over the place, and it was uh, it was very different. And I remember, I'm going to tell you this. I remember my first week in Athens after I moved, and here comes my first trip. And they put me on the plane, and I'm flying huh, to Ukraine. <laughs> All places. I'm fl- my first trip is to Ukraine. It was so strange. I'm sitting next to a lady with a basket with chickens and eggs. And I'm like, huh, here I was flying to Miami and Seattle and uh, New York, and now I'm flying to Ukraine with a lady with chickens and eggs next to me. It was so surreal. I was like, is this what's going to be now? Is this what I'm going to be doing? It was very art. I got to tell you, it was very, very different of what I'm, um, was, uh, what I was accustomed to. I mean, because in the States, you travel, you still speak English when you travel. <laughs> it's the same country. In Europe, I traveled. Not everybody speaks English. I go to Ukraine. I need a translator to communicate with a developer who's Ukrainian and doesn't speak a word of English. It's okay. Then I go to Romania. Same thing. I go to Turkey. Okay. They speak a little bit of English over there, but it was, you would think that everybody speaks English, but hello, America. People don't speak English. Not everybody. So that was my first obstacle. I would say, you know, dealing with the Europe. Because, you know, it's Europe, but, you know, everybody has their own language and their own strategies and their own business plans. And Anyway, that was, so here I am in Europe. Here I am in Greece. <laughs> and so you, you, so how long did you work for, for Lambda? I worked for Lambda for, it's funny because I went there in 2008 and then, you know, the whole collapse, Lehman Brothers, the whole world collapsed. But I was lucky because I signed with them my salary and everything like right like one month before all that. So it was kind of I was lucky. I stayed with them until 2011, and 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 then at the, at the time everything froze in 2000. End of 2008 they froze everything. They were not buying anything, not land, no mold, nothing. So the owner said, "That's it, stop everything." You know, I mean, there was the world is going crazy. So there was this economic economic crisis everywhere, as you know. So I didn't know what to do. I was bored. So I walked into the CEO office and I said, okay, you got to give me something to do. I'm bored. We're not buying anything. There's no project. Uh, you know, I'm not a public worker and I can go home. Why are you paying me? I don't know what to do. And, you know, I'm always honest. And he says to me, you know, you've been doing such a great job with marketing. Okay, you're the CMO, chief marketing officer, just like that. Please help them all. So you have to help them all to fill up with people. We are dying here because they built four malls and they were empty. So I was I was thrown into marketing 
And I'm like, okay, this is fun. Something new for me. So here we go. So I, I did a very good job for them. Um, I, we had to keep the malls alive. You know, so I had to come up with ideas. And then I got sponsors and, you know, and, uh, you know, sponsoring the malls, you know, doing all this. So that was about another year and a half. And then I, I wanted to quit. I didn't like, I didn't like it so much. I mean, it wasn't my thing, you know, being a realtor all this long. So, uh, I formed my own company, uh, and they hired me back as their consultant to do the marketing as a consultant now. And mind you, I was making more as a consultant than as an executive being there. Parenthesis there. So as I, um, was there doing the consulting and I, I, it was the point where I said, okay, time to move back to the States. I want to come back. So I'm thinking, okay, now that we did well, okay, okay, I don't want to be in the commercial, you know, the residential projects that I was accustomed to from the States were big, you know, 200 units, 100 units, 300 units. That doesn't exist. Greece has 10 units, 5 units, 20 units. That's it. So I'm like, what am I going to do? There are no big projects for me. This is all small, you know, someone else. I mean, I don't want to do that. So I'm about to leave and move, by the way, so you know, to the States uh, in 2014 and, or 2013. And Sotheby's approached me. And Sotheby's asked me, they just, the, the, the person who had the brand, Sotheby's in Greece, was, uh, was a new guy. I mean, he knew he was a real okay guy. He was from an island, road, whatever. Uh, and he needed someone with experience and someone who knew Sotheby's, who knew the U.S. style and all that. And he asked me to be the COO for Sotheby's. So I became the chief operating officer. So I set up the company for them. So I started working back on residential. So I convinced me not to leave, obviously, not to move to the States. It was very interesting. It was very fun for me again because I went back to the luxury segment, residential segment, doing sales again, training salespeople, which I love. And I was back in my own element. So that rejuvenated me. So I decided not to leave. I stayed uh, till this day. Southeast Greece is doing very well. Uh, they are actually the, the, the pioneer, actually. And they are the top agency, I would say, in Greece right now. Um, I helped them. I stayed there for two years. And then another big company in Europe, Ankel and Focus, as you call them in the States, ENV, they know them because nobody can pronounce this German name, Engel and Fulkers. Um <laughs> The German company hired me to be their CEO. So then I became the CEO for the company there. Um, I stayed there for two and a half years. And then coronavirus came and, you know, everything landed to zero. It was really awful, you know, lockdowns and all that. Um, and then as I got, uh, I did get coronavirus. I was one of the first people, actually. The lockdown was March 11th. March 8th, I was already in bed. So anyway, I was one of the first people in Greece who got. So um, I had, I think I'm like a lot of people, I kind of restarted thinking my life, you know. I was working a lot for them. Um, you know, being the CEO and president, by the way, because I had both titles, president and CEO for Ankle and Focus, I was not involved in the sales. I was just behind the desk ruling. You know, that was boring for me. 
So I was, I wanted to get involved. I wanted to be in the action. I didn't want to be the person who just signs invoices and makes strategies and is like behind the desk and has no idea. I didn't like it. You know, I was just taking interviews, being the face of the company, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, that's not, that's why I quit. Everybody thought I was nuts. You know, coronavirus, everything goes busted. Are you quitting? Why are you crazy? What are you doing? This, everybody thought I'm crazy. But it felt right for me at the time. I, I didn't, I thought I was losing myself because I wasn't involved in sales and I didn't feel like I was in a real estate company. I was always in board meetings and doing, making decisions, and but it wasn't me. It wasn't what I wanted to do. So I left Ankela Focus and for about a year, I was just focusing on my kids and I was just being mommy. So I was a mommy, um, but saying, having seen that, I was the mommy. I did have I did have a little real estate company on my own, which was strictly luxury, strictly Mykonos selling, and I didn't make two huge sales. Uh, which okay it was nice being mommy, but it was also, it was kind of funny. You know, you were here, you are at the supermarket and buying a detergent, and then I'm talking about an eight million dollar deal with a buyer. Well, that was uh, nice. Um, so there, uh, and then after that. Um, in uh, recently, um, the company that you mentioned in the beginning, uh, Von Paul, uh, asked me to join them and be the CEO for Von Paul Greece. Von Paul is another uh, multinational brand from Germany, the biggest rival of Ankel and Focus. Obviously, that's why they wanted me, because so obviously I did something good, because Ankel and Focus is doing very well right now in Greece. So they want me to set up that company for them. Um, and do the same thing because right now, setting up Sotheby's, setting up Ekela Focus, you know, third times they said, Okay, this lady knows what she's doing because both companies are doing very well. So please now do this for us. But this time around, my contract is I am part of the sales, I don't want to be behind the desk. You know, there's a different deal for me. Uh, I get to pick, I'm, I made it a better. Contract for me. I like the training of the agent. I like to be involved. You know, so all these were just you know put it all in writing. So I am much much happier now. I'm doing exactly what I'm doing. Um, I love what I'm doing, and uh, so here I am. <laughs> hey there, real estate roundtable podcast listeners. I want to take a moment to tell you about our sponsor. I love real estate school. If you're looking to get your real estate license or fulfilling your continuing education requirements, I love real estate schools got you covered. As an Illinois licensed school, they offer the state required broker pre-license course, managing broker pre-license courses, post-licensing courses, and continuing education. And the best part, you can take the courses either through their live stream with the live instructor or online home study. So no matter where you are, you can get the education you need to take your real estate career to the next level. I Love Real Estate School is committed to helping you succeed in the industry. That's why they offer comprehensive, high-quality education at an affordable price. So if you're ready to start your real estate journey or stay up to date with your continuing education, 
head on over to iloverealestateschool.com today to learn more. So, you know, in listening to you and, and in knowing you, I would say the one constant and, and, you know, obviously you talked about your personal energy and, you know, you were definitely always the one that, that kind of drove the bus. I mean, your energy drove a lot of what we did when we worked together. But I think that one of the things that we may have learned from Nick Galitas Sr. was the idea that to be able to sell, you must create energy. Would you say mm-hmm. that that's a fair statement? Yes. I, you know, um, a lot of people who are want to be in the real estate business, first of all, as we mentioned in the beginning, they think it's easy. Well, it's not. The one thing that I see everybody's making a mistake, they're terrible listeners. They are so involved in trying to sell the property. They are not listening to the buyer's needs, like what they want. Like, I think I am doing well and teaching also my agents, because uh, mainly we're selling vacation homes. And also, you know, here you are, like on an island in Mykonos, and there's traffic, of course. And, you know, the villa, okay, sometimes the winter is much better because the villas are empty. There are no tenants. But they, my agents were like so, oh, you know, some villas sell by themselves. But still, you have to be honest. Like I, I canceled viewings. I would say, okay, now that I met you, you know, I can tell to the client. Now that I met you, I'm not going to say. I don't think it's no, that's not for you. What? What do you mean? Trust me, I know this villa is not for you. Like I don't want to waste your time. I'm not going to show you three villas. I'm going to show you two. You have to be honest with them. So uh, there's a lot saying, and your energy. Uh, you have to be honest. Energy, obviously, not that you're not bored. You have to love what you're doing. And be nice. I mean, it's as simple as that. Just be nice and honest. Don't BS them. <laughs> They're not stupid. What I'm telling my agent is, this guy must have done something better than you because he wants to buy a $5 million house. So don't underestimate him. It's as simple as that. Right. Absolutely. So let me ask you, what do you see as the differences in selling real estate in the U.S. versus real estate in Europe? Oh, wow. A good question, by the way. Okay. In the States, real estate is a very serious business. I'm starting from the part that people respect you when you're a broker or a real estate agent. The reason is, first of all, you have to go to school. You have to learn a few things. You got to get a license. In Europe, you don't. You just go and you show up. You say, hi, I finished high school. I want to be a real estate agent. And boom, here's the license. So we got everybody you can imagine can be a real estate agent or a broker in most of the countries in Europe. Some, they have some kind of school, but nothing like the books we are reading or studying in the United States. Number one. So automatically, it's not a very respectful job, I may add. So you um they it's a very different perspective of what they treat you like you're an insurance agent and no offense to the insurance agents but they treat you like you don't know what the business is all about because you know you just are ah, you're just a little uh, agent so you have to come across as very professional there are no rules no rules apply 
United States, three plus three commission, end of story. Greece, whew, which is a good thing and a bad thing. Greece, we can get up to five and six percent from the seller, three percent from the buyer. Or we can get two and two, or we can get three and two, or we can there's no rule, no law, no protocol, no nothing. Anything can happen. So uh, exclusivity. You can get the exclusivity in the States. Okay, let's say that you got it here, especially now in Greece, to get an exclusive house, it's a big thing. But man, the seller, if you don't sell it, he hates you. It's like they don't respect the fact that you're marketing the property, you spend a lot of money on it and blah, 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 all that stuff. And then if you don't sell it, they're mad at you. You know, there's, it's a very, they're not, I, I realized that in Greece, I had to educate the sellers of that, what exclusivity means. Like, okay, you know, even if you, if you sell it or your brother sells it, I still have to get paid. That's what exclusivity is all about. I was teaching them stuff. Um, the, so to go back and answer in one word your question, there are no rules in Europe. No rules apply. It's everything can happen. Um, there is no, um, the professionalism only comes through those big brands that I mentioned, like Ankel and Fokers and Von Paul. Because to be honest, yeah, my name is big in real estate in Greece and I could open the Natalia Realty. But still, I need a brand big brand behind me with the 350 offices in Europe. Okay, because that's how many we have as Von Paul. And with a trained experience, because these companies, they train the agents. Because there's no law, law to go to school to get a license, what these companies do and the brands do, they train themselves, um, the agents. So before they go out there, at least they know five, ten things before they start talking to buyers and sellers. Um, it's not easy. Uh, uh, the competition now, obviously, is is big. Greece right now, uh, for me, and this is one of the big things I always make uh, in many of my interviews, is the Florida of Europe. End of story. All of the people, all of the people uh, are Northern Europeans, uh, Americans or Greek Americans. Those are the ones who are buying in Greece. And yes, it's sunny. We have a lot of islands, vacation homes, and the return on investment is very big. Right now, I think we can go and get into numbers if you want, but um, the the process, and I have to, and I want to add also this: the process of buying a property in Greece is not as hard as everybody thinks, or in Europe in general, It's not so hard. I t- the for, hardest for city, meaning for, for American, American, if an American wants yes. to buy in Europe or Greece. You're saying the process isn't as hard as as one might think. Yes. And the reason is, okay, there's a lot of people who got, and yes, they got burned. Here's the thing. When you have as an agent a good company behind you, like the one I'm in right now, let's say Juan Paul, we are here and we become, because there is no escrow account, by the way. There's no escrow account in uh, in, in Greece or in Italy or in Spain. It does not exist. So, you know, in the States, you put the money in an escrow account. Fine. So you are protected. Your down payment is protected. In Europe, doesn't have that. So what we do, a big company is acting as the intermediary. So we are your escrowee. So we get your down payment and we protect you. So when the due diligence, you know, you do the, the legal due diligence and your technical due diligence, your money there and it's safe with us. 
So if something happens that cannot be resolved or whatever, we return back to our parents' money and we're done. This was not happening five years ago. Five years ago, you come in art, you buy a house in Mykonos or in Santorini or in Paris or Crete or whatever, you put your down payment and you give it to the seller. The seller keeps your 20000 Okay. Uh, something's wrong with the property. It's not 200 square feet. It's 180 or it's 150 or whatever. Something wrong with it. Or you ask for your money back. Hmm. Try and ask again. The money's gone. The seller kept your money. So this happens so many times that it scared a lot the foreigners to come back and buy property, especially in Greece. And in Italy, it's even worse. And Spain and all the Mediterranean countries. Well, now... With all these brands coming in and acting as your escrowee or your intermediary. And don't forget, we collect commission from both sides. We are the intermediary. So I represent the seller and the buyer. I have the responsibility to protect the buyer and the seller. Both it's it's hard it's a hard job because you have you collect in commission from both sides. So you have to be fair for both sides. So by me collecting the money, I have to set straight the seller. I say, hey. The money comes to us. We keep it. If your property checks fine, legally and technically, you will get the down payment. Other than that, and then we move to go to the, do the notary and all that. That um, was established about five years ago, but only by the big brands that I mentioned before. The smaller local offices, they don't have that assertiveness, I want to say, you know, they would say, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, you know, you give the down payment and go to the seller. I would never do that. I would never put the money and I would never put the earnest money of the buyer at risk uh, at any cost. No way. If you don't want, if the seller says, no, I want the earnest money, I said, okay, no deal. Goodbye. That's it. So it's not as black and white as it is in the States. Here, uh, it's only black and white and it's only... Uh, you are protected only if you go with a good big company. That's what I'm. This is my advice to all the Americans who want to buy something in Europe. Pick a company, and the first question you should ask is the due diligence, the process, and if I give you a down payment, where does the money go? That's what I would ask. Got it. And have you seen an influx of Americans buying in these in European countries? I've seen them buying so far. There's a lot of Portu Portugal. They're buying a lot of a lot of uh, United States people uh, move to Portugal, Italy, southern Italy, and th the reason is uh, the prices are very low. I mean, you, and in the bigger islands of of Greece, like Crete, Rhodes, um, it's kind of like a retirement plan. Because you have to think, the cost of living is much cheaper. So let's say your five thousand dollars, or four thousand, or six, whatever the your you know your pension or your retirement is, it goes along a lot further in Greece than it does in the states. So a lot of people discovered that, and it's sunny, obviously, and the food is better, <laughs> and you know you live on an island, um, you know. So there's a lot, I would say, retirees. This is a retirement plan. And other Americans, they're buying because of the, the yield. The return on investment, especially like islands like Mykonos or Paros, the return on investment is 8%. It's killing. It's great. You're buying a house and you're making 
if I tell you the prices of the villas that are renting in Mykonos, it's just insane. You're buying a villa and you can rent it for like a thousand or fifteen hundred a day or two thousand a day. I mean, you make eight percent yield. Zurich makes four. We got a lot of Swiss. I tell you, I quote: If you see the Swiss people buying on an island like Mykonos, you know they've done the numbers on the map before you and me. Right. Right. Because they're all they're all about numbers. They're bankers. <laughs> One of the things um, that I noticed when I was in Rhodes many years ago was um, the construction. I was surprised. Because in the U.S., we do stick-built properties, so it's wood, you know, that type of thing. I was shocked at the fact that most houses there are block, mm-hmm. right? The the cinder block and then all the other stuff around it. Is is that pretty much, I mean, is that pretty much all of Greece, that type yes, of construction? I, yeah, I, I, I have to say the construction here and the quality is much better than the United States. The construction, the, the the way they build houses and the materials that they use, it's insane. Uh, they are, I mean, and when I I was last year, I went to my, I was in Miami, so I was looking at you know some of the penthouses and whatever they were selling and the condos, and it was like, mat- fake. I felt like it was fake materials. I mean, the the materials that they use in a house and the finishes that they use in a house in Greece, it's superb. I have to tell you, the architecture and the woods and the marbles and the granites and the everything. I mean, it's just so much superior. And the way, the, the infrastructure, you know, the cement that they're pouring in, I mean, it's, it's, it's much, much, I mean, we had a lot of drywall in the States. You know, everything is drywall. Bam, bam, slam, bam. Thank you, ma'am. And we're done. The house is up in two days. Here, it takes uh, 18 months, but it's worth it. Yeah. Like I said, I was very surprised. I mean, part of it has to do with the climate as well, though, right? Because if you had built too many things out of wood, a lot of the, the moisture that's there constantly would have a negative effect, right? Yeah, the humidity, of course. Right. So the the blocks certainly seem to be a way that people that they built these properties, and then on top of the block is plaster, insulation and plaster. Yes, Insula- yeah, yeah. Yes. So, yeah. I mean, I was impressed with the the quality of what they were building, and you know, coming from our background, I'm like, well, that would take way too long <laughs> to <laughs> yeah. build at home. We we can't. We don't have that kind of time. Yeah, you know, but. True. You got to think that these houses are built for to last a century in, in, yes. in the, where houses here are built to last today, you know, are built to last probably over a 50 year span. And that's after you replaced a few things as well. Yeah, we, these are these are all legacy homes. They families keep them for years, you know, they, they, they last. And when you talk about a renovation, the renovation is, you know, uh, it happens after 20 years, you know, but still, I mean, that I have to say the construction uh, is much better than, than the one we were doing in the United States, even if it's a house or a building or a high rise or whatever. Right. Right. So you had said earlier that, that one of the things that you enjoy doing is training your salespeople, right? So yeah. 
I, you know, I, I teach new people coming into the business. So given your experience and the fact that you currently still train salespeople, I'm going to ask you two questions about this. First of all is what is your advice for somebody coming into the real estate business at this point in time? First of all, it has to be a full-time job. You're doing this as a gimmick or a part-time job, you're going to fail. You have to have your heart in it. It's a full-time thing. If you love it, you really enjoy it, you are going to succeed. It's a lucrative business. It's the best kept secret in town. <laughs> you're good, you make money. My advice is real estate, either you love it or you hate it. If you don't love it, don't do it. All right. I love that. And then the second question is, well, in your mind, what is the number one skill that somebody in real estate needs to have? Be a good listener. Hmm. Okay, um, you, said, you said that earlier, so ex expand yeah. on that a little bit more. By being a good listener, which you know covers a lot of things, because when you're a good listener, that means that you really care about the other person has to say. You know, being in Greece, you know, I'm going to tell you, they say about the Greeks, which is like my, that's my biggest problem here. Um, in Greece, you know, you have the one guy, you know, what monologue is, one person talking to themselves, you know, dialogue in Greece is two people talking to themselves. So <laughs> that's, yeah, so that's my biggest problem here. I said, listen to the client. Listen to what he's telling you. Don't go in, you know, start because, you know, they're so anxious to sell the property. They're talking about the property and this and that. And look at the big living room and, and the pool and the view and the this and the that. Listen to what he is asking. You. Find out the, the family's needs. Listen to them. You know, win them over. They don't do that. I, I always use the example. We are not on the spinning wheel and TV showing the refrigerator and here it is and it looks beautiful. Go into the guts of the refrigerator, learn everything and learn what the client likes about that. You know, it's, they have to listen. They're not listening. They are so into like selling this property that they forget all about the client. Okay. That's and, my thing. Okay. So is it, how do you train your salespeople to listen better the best training is on the field we do trainings i take them uh, i take a three or four of them and i'm like okay you know how you know how you used to have the the movie sell me this pen well i'm like sell me the sell me this apartment tell me so i am the mother and i have two kids and blah 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 sell it to me so i train them uh by watching them you have to, uh, that each training adjust on each, each person's, each agent's personality. You got the, we have mechanical engineer. The engineer focuses on the guts of the house and he forgets all about the beautiful curtains and the big, you know, there's all, everybody has a different perspective, how, they, how they're looking at the product, you know, the house. So every person that I train, I try to get out their, their best that they have. The engineer is very detailed. So he's going to focus on the detail so much that he will even focus on the little corner humidity that the house has and which I need to figure out how to get him away from that and focus on the big space of the living room instead of the humidity of the, you know, you got the, you got the, the lady 
who's never worked before, but she's very nice with people and she's the sweetest and the cutest. You know, every agent, you need to understand their personality. And that's, I'm focusing on how can I mold their best attributes, you know, the best stuff out of the personality. It's not, it's not black and white and it's not the same. But the one thing I'm teaching them uh, how to be a good listener is just by telling them. Just we walk through, okay, listen to what I'm telling you. I'm a single mother with two kids. Tell me this apartment. What do you think I need? So, you know, ask me questions. How old are my kids? <laughs> Which school do they go? Where do they go? How, what do they like? I mean, focus on my kids. You know, I mean, you have, this is, it's all part of like, ask the question. Or the other thing is they finish the viewing and like, how did the viewing go? Oh, it went very well. Did you get an offer? No. Well, it didn't go well then. No, I mean, you got to be, <laughs> so what do you mean it went well? Um, did you hear? From, and then another thing, what nowadays, uh, you have to be a little bit more assertive and more aggressive. And the one key thing is to follow up, follow up, follow up, follow up. They don't do it. They send two emails, the third email, and that's it. They drop it. I think you have to. You know, there's a statistic that I'm using all of them. I mean, you would sell something on a second email or a second viewing, 2%. That's a 2%. You need to be consistent and you need to keep following up on them. That's okay. Don't give up. I, for example, I have a client coming on the 20th of of May. He wants to buy a 4 million house in Miracles. Well, guess what? I've been talking to this guy for a year. So imagine how much follow-up I've done. So if you know if I can do it, you can do it. Let's keep following up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Keep, but they're not answering back. That's okay. Keep sending them. Hey, this is. I, what do I say? Find find ways. Oh, I saw this article. I thought you would be interested. You know, hey, rates are going up. Or you look at that. What's going on in Paris? Or here's what's going on in Greece. Oh, did you see? But that's okay. When the time comes, he will call you because you are in his face in a nice way. Uh, that's the. The biggest thing that they don't do, they knew, they knew it, especially, they don't know the key to success is to follow up. Well, and, and we've proven that time and time and time again throughout our careers. <laughs> Let yes. me ask you this, how, you know, I know how social media has had an effect in the States. What kind of an effect has social media had in terms of lead generation, in, in terms of any of that, in, in, or is it a non-factor in Europe? No, it's a very big factor. It's all about social media right now. I mean, you, you, but we are not, and here's another big difference. I mean, you see the stage, all the agents, you know, walking to, through the properties and TikTok and Instagram and this and that. They're not so, they don't do it so much here. The agents don't expose themselves so much. They don't walk through the properties and do that. I mean, you might see them in, uh, Dubai or UAE, which, you know, Dubai for me is a wannabe United States place. So they want to copy everything. Um, but in uh, Europe, the companies do a lot of social media, promoting the product, you know, the villas, the apartments, the houses. But yeah, it's the number one marketing campaign. You know, it's the social media. So again, people do use it. People do generate leads from it there as well. Yes, yes. And yes. if I'm hearing you right, you're saying the company does the majority of it, but the individual agents, it's not, they're not doing as much of it. No, because 
that's another difference that actually between the United in the United States, you are, you go and you hang your license and you're a real estate agent and you hang your license with a real estate broker and you get your commission and you get, let's say, if you're a good one, 70, 30, 60, 40, whatever the deal is. In Europe is pretty much 50-50. So, you know, and you the company does everything for you. They do all the marketing materials for you if you're an agent. They do they can, they pick up all your expenses. They do everything for you. So, some agents some companies pay your cell phone, pay your gas, pay your car, whatever. If you're good, they keep dropping your stuff at you. You get a lot of benefits. And all they want you is to sell, but they give you 50%. So in the States, you know, you, if you're a huge or a good one, you know, especially in New York, you get 95% or 90 or whatever. Sometimes you get, you know, but in uh, in Europe, it's usually 50-50 um, and they get all the expenses covered. So you don't see them you don't see like the super duper agent of an office, you know, promoting herself by herself. And here I am, I'm looking at, look at this house and it's a, the company does that for you. They do, they promote and then they have, they, they're not so into your face as an agent, but they're also in your face as a company. Got it. Well, that's a huge difference then. Yes. Yes. I forgot to mention that. <laughs> oh, that's all right. No, that's a great, I, yeah. I had no idea that that was the case. So, yeah. I mean, at 50, 50, you know, it always goes back to what I say to my students. When picking a company, you get what you pay for. In this instance, if you're paying 50% and they're taking care of everything like that, that's a that's not a bad expense to have. No, no. I mean, I mean it's it it's a standard procedure, you know, like right now I'm in the process of recruiting my agents. I start the senior, the the junior ones with 40, 60. My my senior ones get 50-50 and my really good ones are six are uh, 70-30. So that's it. Um, and I'm giving them a laptop, I give them a cell phone, I pay for the gas. I mean, you know, I'm we're spending all the marketing on the company, we're promoting them. I want them to be happy and I want them to make money. <laughs> so the company makes my the company, I'd rather have. 10, 15 of them and split 50-50 with them, but they're all happy and they all make money. And, and it makes a better, it makes a nice environment. It's not so antagonistic. They don't kill each other over a deal, you know, and they they all split 50-50 or whatever. So uh, it's it's fair, I would say. But it all depends on who, you know, how the broker, I mean, we, we have uh, some rules, you know, that we follow. Um, but they, they're, because their their expenses are covered, let's put it this way, so they're not anxious of paying stuff, and you are supporting them until they make their deal. It's a big, it's a big thing for them. Yeah, that's huge. It makes me want makes me want to start learning Greek. I guess <laughs> you don't have to learn Greek. English is fine. We don't All have right, Greek well, buyers. <laughs> <laughs> I can, I, you know. Hey, you never know, right? Yeah, exactly. That's great. That that's a great setup. And before we end, because I know you've got some other commitments, and I appreciate you doing this. Um, any last thoughts that that you would want to give our, our our listeners in terms of whether the difference between you know Europe or U.S. or really, I like to focus on what people what what new people can do or even experienced people can do in this market. Any tips or techniques? I mean, you've talked a lot about some of these, but anything you want to leave them with? Be patient. 
it all falls into place if you follow up and be patient. That's all. This 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 business can make you can make you a lot of money. Just be smart about it and be patient. And stick with it, right? Yeah, stick with it. People uh, think that you know you join the real estate and you become you start making money the next day. No, just be patient. But it will all fall into place. But as I said, you have to love it. You have to love it. I love it. <laughs> I, I I'm enjoying. It. I wake up in the morning and you have to be happy about it. You have to, don't do it because you have nothing else to do. Right. Well, and I can tell you, your love for it goes back the entire time I've known you. And that when we were on the road and we would get up and we'd be like, let's go. And what are we going to do today? And and how are we going to sell this? And let's go look at that. And let's, you know, that the going back to the energy, you know, I think in this business, you get out of it what you put into it. And when you put into it energy like you have, obviously, you've had a tremendously successful career. It's not over yet because you're still young. And you've got a lot of stuff ahead of you. And and let me just wish you, you know, a ton of luck with, with your new position there at Von Paul. Thank Greece. you. Uh, I know you. just just like in the other stuff that you've done before, it's going to be a home run because literally everything you've done has been a home run. I mean, you just, it, it's been amazing to watch your career, to be part of it for a little bit. And, you know, I just so appreciate you taking the time to do this for me and for our listeners, uh, Natalia, I, I really just want to say thanks and, and, you know, good luck with whatever you've got going on. And in this new position, you're going to rock and roll. I know it. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Art. Anything for you. Thanks again to our sponsor. I love real estate school. Thanks for tuning in to the real estate Roundtable podcast. I hope you enjoyed hearing from our amazing guests and you picked up some valuable tips and insights that you can use in your own real estate business. If you liked what you heard today, please take a moment to like, subscribe, and share our podcast with your friends and colleagues. Your support means the world to us and helps us bring you more great content in the future. And if you're an agent who's interested in coaching, I'd love to hear from you. You can contact me directly through my website, myrealestatesalesmanager.com or connect with me on social media. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you the next time in the Real Estate Roundtable Podcast.